What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. Unfortunately, we will have to discuss the fact that opening day has been canceled by Major League Baseball. There will not be games starting the regular season on March 31st because the owners and the players union were unable to reach a collective bargaining agreement on the MLB imposed deadline of Monday. So here we are now with games officially beginning to be canceled. Fans very unhappy about the situation, so we'll break that down in just a bit. Also, James Harden has suited up for the Philadelphia 76ers, and I think I can speak for, as a Knicks fan who's watched James Harden play twice, that they certainly look like a team that will be formidable moving forward with Harden and B both playing at a high level. Meanwhile, for the Nets, while you're getting good news with Kevin Durant coming back this week, we still don't know when Ben Simmons is going to take the course. So we'll have more on that a little bit later. NFL Combine starting this week. Of course, it's the Underwear Olympics. You're seeing the, the young college players showcasing for these NFL teams. And these NFL coaches who have not really spoken much since their season's ended or for some of these teams since the postseason. Uh, we're finally getting a chance to kind of hear from these front offices and the brain trust on what their kind of mindset is going forward into this offseason. And the topic... The hot topic of discussion in Indianapolis has been quarterbacks. So we'll break down everything that's happening over there. And a, a quite a surprising move to some at Patrick Ewing, head coach of Georgetown's men's basketball team, retained as its head coach despite the team being one of the worst teams in college basketball this year. They were on an 18-game losing streak heading into uh, Wednesday. They have not won a game in Big East play but Patrick Ewing, of course, the, the, the Georgetown legend, will be retained at Georgetown. He got a vote of confidence from the administration today. So we'll we'll talk about what that means for Georgetown and whether or not that was the right decision by that uh, that by that college and by that program. So plenty of stuff to get to on today's show. This has been a pretty uh, it's been a pretty big day for us here. Kendall, of course, being my co-host. Before we get to some of the stuff, if you guys have not. Uh, checked it out yet and this may be the first time you're hearing about it because we, we uh this is our first podcast since it happened but you guys are familiar with the nothing but nicks youtube channel or the nicks and bruises youtube channel shout out to tony crow shout out to sim we were on there uh live streaming with them this wednesday talking about the nicks draft strategy if you guys enjoy the nba draft we love conversations about the nicks that is definitely a conversation you are going to want to hear Check it out on YouTube. You can find it at the Nothing But Knicks YouTube channel uh, where you can find myself and Kendall talking about the Knicks draft uh, situation headed into this, uh, this this dreadful end to this regular season for the New York Knickerbockers. So make sure you guys check that out. Kendall is my co-host. And, and Kendall, speaking of the New York Knicks, I'm going to try to make this segue here as best as I can. A former Knicks head coach is being floated out as a possible uh, a possible replacement for, for Mark Turgeon, who was fired by Maryland as their men's basketball coach. And the name is surprising to me because if it does happen, I'll have to eat a great deal, great big deal of crow on this show because I said for quite a while that this guy would never see another major college head coaching job again. But according to air, an area radio station, Slick Rick himself, Iona men's basketball head coach Rick Pitino, is in fact 
one of the favorites to land that Maryland job. Maryland, of course, is a, a rich basketball tradition. The fans were just irate over how Mark Turgeon seemed to kind of take them in in, in, a, in a bad direction. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of optimism apparently, not just from that administration, but from that fan base that they can bring in Rick Pitino and turn this thing around. Rick Pitino, of course, was ousted at Louisville following the uh, prostitution scandal, following the pay-to-play scandal. There's a lot of messy stuff in terms of his exit at Louisville that I would have thought made would have made him um, untouchable for a program, the stature of Maryland. But, Kendall, as we sit here on Wednesday, March 2nd, the word on the street is that Slick Rick could be back in the game in a major way. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Patino quite a bit on this on this podcast, and I feel like in the more recent conversations that we've had, I've held the position that he's going to be coaching major college basketball again. Yes, you have. It wasn't a matter of if, but a matter of when. Um, you know, we'll see whether or not it's at Maryland. I, I, there's a good chance it'll be in this coaching cycle. Uh, whether it's at Maryland or it's at another another Power Five school, um, to me, the 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 thing about Rick Pitino that makes him, you know, a guy that you can that 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 you can hire right now, honestly, is just honestly the NCAA's handling of that whole FBI investigation, um, or you know, honestly, lack of handling it because they haven't done anything. Um, it's allowed for there to be this just this this cloud amongst these coaches, but with no real, you know, with no real, uh, you know, penalties with and, and with no real judgment, and and so it's hard to really say. I mean, I mean, he's coaching at Iona right now. Um, Iona, you know, has been better off because they fired Rick Pitino. And we said it at we said it when they did hire him. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think it'd be really good now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a guarantee when it, when it happened. And and obviously, they're, you know, they're you know tracking to make their second NCAA tournament in two years, and um, had a win over a team in Alabama earlier this season that was ranked in the top fifteen at the time. So, um, you know, yeah. I mean, Rick Pitino. If you're Maryland, personally, I think that you could probably find. A candidate out there and that that's not Rick Pitino and you could still win um but let's also be honest Maryland basketball has fallen into pretty hard times they're in a they're they're at a point in their uh they're at a point in their program where they're a little bit like Syracuse they're a little bit like uh Pitt and some of these other schools where we talk about not being in the ACC and how that has affected how conference realignment for football has affected some storied basketball programs. And I think about Maryland as one of the programs that was affected the most by moving to the big 10, which geographically never made any sense. And while yes, it, it got them into a better football basketball, uh, better uh, football conference. They're a basketball school who now is punching above their weight, honestly, in, in, the, in the Big Ten in football. Yes. And now, you know, like, they're never going to be good in the Big Ten. Nope. Um, 
And now, like, if they were still in the ACC, like, they probably they probably be like Virginia, where you know yeah. every year year out they have a shot. Um, and in basketball, they're they're a fish out of water, and I think it's they've seen that that decline. And so, if you're talking about guaranteed or almost guaranteed improvement, the only coach that that's out there right now that they could easily get that's a guaranteed success, I would say it's two. And both of them have clouds over them. It's it's. Rick Pitino and Sean Miller, mm, you know, yeah. and so to me, like, it really depends on what we're legislating. You know, if 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 you feel like Rick Pitino is unhirable, like, then I guess you won't hire him. But uh, I think that we've we've I feel like we just we've just seen that in in college sports that there's been a there's there, there's been a I would say a shift. It's, it's always it's always been a lot of uh, interesting characters in college sports coaching wise, but um, I mean again we I mean you look at the the stunt that Hugh Jackson Hugh Jackson tried to pull at Grambling, oh, hiring Art Bryles, and you look at that and obviously that didn't that didn't end well. No. Uh, that didn't that didn't was it wouldn't go through unsurprisingly, but. I look at that and I'm like, I mean, <laughs> they're gonna hire Art Bryles, and that really opens the door for a guy like oh, Rupert yeah. oh, yeah. getting back to into coaching. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I make sense for all the reasons that I mentioned why they would want a guy like Rupert And it's funny you mentioned how you know Maryland has kind of come on hard times since they entered the Big Ten, and on the surface, I would agree. But what's fascinating is when you look at their time in the Big Ten, all of it under Mark Turgeon and this half season under uh, Danny Manning as well, they've uh, made the tournament more times than they've missed it. I guess this is uh, eight seasons in the Big Ten. Five out of those three seasons, five out of those eight seasons, they're, they'll, they've made the tournament. You know, this year we're not expecting them to make the tournament. Of course, if they win the conference tournament, they get automatic qualifier. But if you ever watch the Big Ten, you'll know there's no chance in hell that's going to happen. Because there are some monsters in that conference. Even though, to Danny Manning's credit, Maryland is playing better ball of late. I do want to get that note. Yes, they are playing good. Um, I I do want to give them their respect in that regard. But but they're they're not going to win the Big Ten tournament. So they're they're not going to make the tournament. But I think when you you refer to them as Syracuse, and I think of some of these other schools that have had this kind of problem i think UConn, with their when they were in the american is another one obviously right yeah uconn had tournament appearances even they were in the american I, I what i see with from them now more is almost that like irrelevance to me where right. where where they're not really relevant in their region like they were you know and that's a very you know basketball rich region you know the dmv is one of the best places to recruit in college basketball and yeah you know, you got you got to convince these kids, hey, you know, you can come to the school that's very close. But, you know, you hope your families, you know, could find some travel to, you know, to these road games at Iowa in Nebraska because that's, that's yeah. what we're playing in our conference. And it's a lot easier of a of a of a of a recruitment for a Duke or for Carolina or even for a Georgetown, though. They have their issues and we'll talk about them later because they're playing much more regional opponents. And it's almost like because even though there was success at Maryland, it's like because they were in the Big Ten, it's like nobody even really cared. It was just like, whatever. They're not playing the teams that we care about. We like to see Maryland play against Duke. Maryland play against Carolina. Right. Maryland play against Virginia. Like, though, like we want to, like, for the bragging rights, for, like, just, like, the landscape of college basketball, like, those are the matches that matter. 
So even Martin had, you know, three or four 21 seasons, they went to the tournament a couple of times. I think to that fan base and to a lot of the larger college basketball fan base, it just didn't really matter. Like, you know, the only way they're really going to be able to kind of power through the the fish out of water nature that is their time in the Big Ten as a college basketball team is to win big. They have to get yes. to a Final Four, get to an Elite Eight. Like, that's the only way you're really going to break through this kind of malaise I feel like Maryland basketball has been in since they entered the Big Ten. They didn't make the tournament in the ACC. From, coming from the ACC, they didn't make the tournament the last four years. They were in the ACC. For some reason, it just feels yeah. like right now, it's just like we don't really care what the hell's going on over there. And if you're going to do that, we know Rick Pitino, I, I, as much as I have criticized, I think correctly so, Rick Pitino's conduct and his lack of control over these institutions I've said on this podcast that I felt like the stuff that I saw with the prostitution and stuff was borderline criminal in my eyes. However, the guy is an excellent basketball coach. You will never hear me ever question his basketball intellect, his his ability to teach the game, his ability to coach in-game. Today, I still think he's one of the best in-game coaches in college basketball. I think that's why you've seen the success he's had at Iona. So, all that will make sense for why I can see Maryland fans being really excited about this idea that, hey, we could bring him in and the NCAA is kind of looking the other way. He's a guy that can win big here, potentially. And he's a big name. He's going to have a lot of weight in recruiting in recruiting because he just he's recruited everywhere. You know, um, he's almost yeah. like a national he's like a national brand in himself. So it doesn't really matter where he goes. He's going to get high end players and he's going to get the, the best out of those high end players. That's what I think is even more exciting because it's not like you know turgeon was getting bums at maryland but yeah but you know the recruiting is going to take up the and when and with patino's at louisville especially like like when they won a championship like they weren't winning with just they weren't winning with five stars like no he doesn't um, need he doesn't need a lot yeah as we, again yeah, had the team with iona yeah but it wasn't like it wasn't a super team like yeah I mean, Russ Smith's one of the greatest players to ever play at Louisville. You know, Russ Smith is is my age. We grew up, you know, uh, playing basketball in the same time period. You know, Russ Smith, a great New York City high school basketball player, but was, you know, like a three-star recruit. Yeah, no one ever heard of him, I think. Yeah, and and Russ committed to Louisville in his junior year. Rick Pitino was immediately like, that's my guy. And you think, wow, Louisville for a guy, you know. And Russ Smith just got his number retired at Louisville. Yeah. I mean, Terry Rozier... He's not a five-star recruit coming yeah. out. One of the best guards probably ever to come out of Louisville in terms of NBA career so far. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell, obviously. Uh, he, you know, they was a good recruit, but wasn't a, wasn't a guy who was supposed to be some, you know, wasn't supposed to be a lottery pick. And <laughs> wound up a lottery pick after two years. Um, and Luke, Luke so, Hancock. Yeah. Luke Hancock was not no McDonald's American. That guy, one, that yeah. guy was uh, a... Mason. A transfer from George Mason. Yeah, he was the most outstanding player in the Final Four. Yeah, like, yeah. So, so look from Maryland standpoint, I get it, and I was clearly wrong. If he does end up getting a job like that, would I do it? Hell no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't send my kids to be around Rick Pitino. I just don't trust him as a leader of young men. But with a lot of this, a lot of this is yo. Can you get me to the league? Can you get me to? The final four. That's that's what like a lot of these for a lot of these uh fan bases, for a lot of these parents and for a lot of these administrations, that's the first question before we get to how you are as a leader of men. And it, those questions he can answer definitively. So that's why he's gonna be in the mix here. 
I, I, I'm, I'm very curious as this starts to pick up more steam once the college basketball season gets closer to the end or whenever Iona season ends in particular and more people start to pay attention that, hey, Rick Pitino may be coaching at a, like, not a blue blood, but like a right underneath kind of blue blood kind of program. Like, yeah. like get ready because this is going to happen. Um, I don't think a lot of people are realizing it because, again, nobody's paying attention to Maryland, but just kind of seeing the internet the last few days, I've been seeing all this, well, we're going to get Patina, we're going to get Patina. I was like, that's not serious. And then today, the report out again, out of a DC radio station, is that he is a guy they are zeroing in on. So buckle up. It's going to be an interesting uh, story to follow down there in College Park. But let's begin, and we'll have more stuff with guys basketball at the end, talking about another DMV school, uh, Georgetown, their head coaching situation with Patrick Ewing. But we'll, uh, we'll continue this podcast discussing the Major League Baseball lockout. So MLB, the regular season, will not start on schedule after the league and players union were unable to come to an agreement on a new collective bargaining agreement. The, uh, the the league, the owners, had imposed a deadline of Monday to get a deal done. They pushed that deadline to Tuesday as it appeared, at least to some people, that progress was being made. But the players have come out and said that the the major league you know, owners and, and, the, and, the, and the commissioner, Rob Manfred, had been kind of um, exaggerating and embellishing kind of how much progress there was and that there were still large issues to be negotiated and we know that to be true now because we do not have a season that will start on time and like like we said on last week's podcast like could we get into all of the oh you know they didn't get enough in the in the uh you know the competitive play tax and things like that we can get into all that but i, I don't know if that necessarily is what our listeners want to hear i think what i've seen from fan fans and media people who love this sport is just outrage and just anger and i think it would be better to kind of play to that and Kendall I'll say this man and I'll, I'll try to be as, as uh, respectful as I can in saying this um but I'm not someone who really wishes for the demise of someone's professional career in general just because it's not a nice thing to do it's not something that uh it's not something that you know I like to wish on anybody because I wouldn't want somebody to wish that on myself however when I watch those news conferences and I see Rob Manfred smiling giggling almost seeming like he's giddy that games are going to be missed and i see pictures of him working on his golf swing as the deadline approaches for games to potentially be canceled by major league baseball when whenever rob manfred's time as commissioner ends and that time will be coming uh that's going to be a legendary that's going to be a legendary day on the twitter timeline that's going to be a legendary day in sports that the, the rob manfred pack is going to be generational and i'm going to be smoking it with everybody else i can't wait because this guy does not have the temperament that is needed to be running a major sports organization and that's just very clear to me say what you want about roger goodell say what you want about gary Bedman. say what you want about david stern back in the day dealing with CBA issues. When those guys had came in a situation where stuff was being missed, you know, NHL canceled the whole season at one point. When those guys went up to a press conference and had to relay this bad news, there was a somber tone. They were 
very, you know, uh, uh, aware of how much it, it was hurting the fans that this was going to happen. This dude looked like he was ready to, 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 to hop on a flight and head to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. I mean, what what was that? What was that? And, and man, the owners looking at this guy and saying, this is our guy after this performance is just really bizarre to me. And, and this is not the first time we've seen my, Rob Manfred kind of embarrass himself in these moments, but man, that was bad. Like, because to me, Kendall, if you're the owners, this is all about you know narratives and media portrayal. That's the most important thing in this, even more than in negotiations, because that gives you the leverage. And if you have the leverage from playing the media game and the and the kind of you know optics game correctly, that could then get you what you want when you actually get to the negotiating table. Why the owners think that Manfred? smiling, giggling, working on his golf swing was good for optics. It's just ludicrous to me. Like, how how could they possibly look at this and say, this is the kind of messaging we want during this very intense negotiation period where our fans are already on the ledge, ready to, ready to jump off and say, I'm done with this sport. And this is this guy's attitude? And this is the guy they're hiring to be their spokesperson? That That... That Rob Manfred pack cannot come soon enough for me. If he wants to go back and be a lawyer, wants to go back to do another profession, all all best, no issues with that. I hope he can continue to provide for his family and all that stuff. But him being a commissioner of Major League Baseball, it just can't continue anymore. He 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 cannot be this commissioner moving forward. Now, you know, shout out to the great Mike Francesa, man. It's rare that I, I give that shout out. But he had a very interesting tweet today, Kendall. He posted the salaries of the average salary of Major League Baseball players beginning like 1965. And every 10 years or so, he would give you the new number. And every year, that number went up. But guess what? From about 2016 to today, that salary went down for the first time in four or five decades. And my friend, as I said, this is why this man is the commissioner. (laughs) And I was like... Man, you want to talk about a sobering statistic and a, a sobering way to kind of present why this clown is still in any kind of power in Major League Baseball. And they come down to that bottom line. He is saving them money by making sure them players ain't getting the kind of bags they were getting before. And that's sad that this is really what all this comes down to. But I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Major League Baseball does not care about the future and health of Major League Baseball. Because there's no way you could operate the way they did these past few days and put on this charade. Because I mean, that's what this was. Extending the deadline, pushing things forward, keep going back to your media people saying, oh, things are going looking good. We have the, the framework to a deal. And, you know, these baseball writers, shout out to them. I'm not going to come here and, and, and bash them. Uh, them people were sitting there at midnight, 2 a.m., you know, tweeting out John Heyman, Bob Nightingale, uh, passing. I want to give them all the respect that they they they've earned and they deserve. I'm not going to sit here and 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 do that and try to you know discredit them because that 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 was not an easy thing to kind of piece through. But I do wonder if if they could present some of these negotiations in a different light the next time they get close because I felt like the narrative was being pushed by MLB that this thing really has a chance to happen. And it's from a player standpoint, it just sounds like that never was the case. And when you look at the numbers and how far they are on certain things, how Major League Baseball, when they gave their 
quote unquote final and best offer and how far it was from what the players were asking for. It's like why were they, why were we being pushed this like you know these lies? And and I'm not saying that they knew they were lies. I'm just saying, you know, it's important. And a lot of these places, if you work for an MLB network, you work for ESPN. You know, in some ways, that's like you're working for MLB. But that's just the only thing I would say in terms of the reporting of it. I do, I do wish that maybe we could have got a better feel. You know, I think I had the savvy to kind of really still hold withhold judgment when I kept seeing this stuff. But they 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 put on that charade and they fooled a lot of people and it only made things worse for Major League Baseball and the future of the sport. And it's a sad day. I think that people don't understand how symbolic opening day is. And the fact that they couldn't get it done during the COVID year. And here during collective bargaining, they still can't get it done. It's like they, again, I'm going to say it for the third time. It's like they don't, they don't care about the sport. It's just really sad. Yeah, not having opening day is going to be really, really sad. Um, it's probably my favorite uh, you know, outside of, uh, probably outside of October, maybe even more so than October, it's my favorite time. Of the I agree with you. Yeah, to me, is the be- is the best time in baseball season. And what's funny is, I, I've told, we talked about this before, Kendall, but that time period, I think, is the best time period in all of sports the calendar year. Because you have March Madness in the full swing of things. You're approaching the Final Four. You have NBA season, things heating up. You're starting to figure out who these teams are. Guys are starting to play with a little more intensity as the playoffs are right around the corner. And then you have Major League Baseball coming into into play with this regular season. You have the NFL draft really picking up steam at that point in time. Pretty much every – and the NHL playoffs is right around the corner. Every North American major sport is pretty much all in a major critical period at that point in time. And Major League Baseball to me is like (laughs) – like okay, college football, yeah, they're not. But – Everything else is pretty much all in, in a big place. And to me, opening day is like the anchor. It's like this is like the the, the the anchor of all these different things that are going on, the beginning of a season. And the fact that they're just like, nah, we're going to let that one rock. We're just going to see y'all in July or whenever the hell we feel like playing. Like, uh, that's crazy to me. That's just crazy. And what's scary for – because this that's what's scary about this is, that, like you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff going on during yeah. this time. And what is dangerous for baseball is when when the world sees a period without baseball and what that's like, and when 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 the when the world gets used to not having baseball around for a couple months, and you know being like, oh, I didn't really miss this. You know what I mean? Like that's the fear is when you're trying to attract people to the sport and you just disappear for two months. You know. That's not gonna. It's not gonna help your. And at the your, point, at the point your, in the time that should be most important to you. Exactly. You know what I'm um, saying? It, it might be the thing that your sport does better than everybody else. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, like, I mean, obviously, I mean, we love. I mean, I, I, we love all opening days because it's the start of the season for everybody. But you know, I, I would. You know, I mean, I really like college basketball when they have when you know when that season starts, and I really like college football's first week, but. Man, like you know, again. I mean, think about think about the term opening hope day. Brings eternal in when it comes to the start of baseball season. Every team feels like they got a shot, you know, and and that whether it's realistic or not, um, and it's just the scenery, the imagery, uh, and it's yeah, it's, it's it, we're not gonna have it. 
And think about the term you just used, opening day, and how, you know, it's one of the, it's the best opening days of all the sports. Opening day is a right. baseball term. That's not a yes. football term. Opening day means yeah. baseball. And we, we yeah. use it for other sports. And I think that the you know, NBA has been smart. We say, oh, tip off. NFL is smart. We say, oh, kick off. But even when we're talking, sometimes we say, oh, yeah, opening day in football, opening day in baseball. Because that's, that's how we view it. But that is a baseball term. And the fact that you're trying and we know we, we associate it as first week in April or the last weekend in, in March, sometime around there, that's when baseball games begin. It's the, the weather starts to get a little better. Sun is out. We got some day games on a Monday or Tuesday. Kids take off school. Parents take their kids to the ballpark. And it's a – it is it, – we talk about baseball not really being America's pastime anymore. But that is the only aspect of baseball that to me still is an American pastime. Opening day, uh, afternoon day game in your local town, your local city, and people taking off work to go to the 1 o'clock game. Yeah, it's 50 degrees, but it's still a great time, you know, unless you're in, of course, L.A. or you know, San Diego, where it's probably still really nice in like 70 or 80. But, you know, yeah, the weather might be the greatest, but baseball season is here. You're really excited. And, again, the pageantry of opening day and what that means to open those stadiums up for the first time since, you know, it was cold and frigid, you know, last time we saw some of these teams. Like, again, the fact that they're throwing that away, I, I don't. I really don't understand it. I mean, I won't say I don't understand. I do understand it because money's involved and these people are all about saving as many dollars and cents as they can. But it just feels like a lot of the stuff that they're arguing with, as we said before, is just so trivial when it comes to like the future of the sport. The sport has issues, but how money is being divided is just not one of them that's going to be paramount to the health of the sport moving forward. That, I think, is probably, for me, why it's so agrees that this is happening i get money is important but it's not like you're a lead that's fledgling and you're struggling to make ends meet you're trying to just piece together another season you know like i read that article um by sports illustrated about this whole what i feel like is a ridiculous scandal regarding the new york liberty and them using charter flights during the season how that was apparently a quote-unquote competitive advantage and therefore they had to be fined and they almost were disbarred as a team I felt like that was a ridiculous scandal. But when you do read this article and you see these other owners who are like, yo, I don't have that kind of bread, man. I don't have that kind of bread to just be sending charter flights for my players. And we could argue whether or not they do or they don't. And we could definitely argue about the merits. And I will very much argue about the merits and how ridiculous I think that is that, you know, elite athletes have to be sitting coach next to me on a flight, you know, to their next city. That doesn't make any sense to me. But nonetheless, there are actual financial major issues that a league like WNBA that's trying to grow faces. And these are tough decisions they have to make. These guys are all making, they're making bank. They got these great TV deals. Attendance has been down, but people are still going to the ballpark at a reasonable rate. You got team, you got guys like the Pittsburgh Pirates owning one of the richest men in America. And this guy is putting out a roster of double A players. Guys where the, the Mets got guys making more than their whole their whole salary, their whole team salary in one year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times these teams, like, the, the, the worst teams in the league, a lot of times the teams making the most money because their payroll is so low. Yeah. That teams, making, rev- teams making bank. <laughs> revenue is, is And we're talking about, oh, we got to divide this money up better. It's like that's, like, you. this can't be the reason why we're not playing games. Yeah. 
you saying, yo, we really are opposed to DH, or we really are opposed to 14 and 12 game playoff, and it sounds like the players are really starting to kind of dig their heels in on that a little bit, which was a little surprising to me, because it seemed like before 14 I, seemed inevitable. Now it looks like it's really going to have to be 12. I don't think the players are going to budge. What was the rationale behind that? I still haven't heard that. The rationale behind why the players don't want 14? Yeah. Um, is it because the owners are just gonna are gonna be the ones to profit, and the players that don't make the playoffs, like don't get the money? I think I had to read more into it. That's a great question. Um, I did read it, but I, I can't. That's remember the that's the only math the, that, that that checks out. Where you're what like, the issue was that that does make sense if that was a reason. If why. Like, well, the only players that are gonna profit off of this are the ones that make make it to the to the playoffs. You know, yeah. whereas the the league just getting the extra games is gonna be. But to me, everybody gets more money. And just from a competitor standpoint, a competition standpoint, I would imagine players would like expanded playoffs. I mean, but, they are expanding it. It's just not expanding it to the to the level of, of 14. Right, right. Um, and it could be something as simple as, look, we have a certain level of demands, and if you're not going to meet them, then we're not going to give you this 14-team playoff. Right. That's, be, that's, just not as, that's just not as, like, we don't care about that that much for you to, you know, for us to give up that bargaining chip. And that's what I, that's, that is what I've heard is that they've used it a, a great deal as a bargaining chip in these agreements. Cause basically baseball is obsessed with getting a 14 team playoff, which I told you off air. I don't think we talked about it on there. I mean, I, I think it's terrible. I don't want a 14 team playoff. I don't think it makes sense. You know, what makes baseball great to me is that these teams, it's like, to me, it's almost like soccer. It's, it's very like, selective. It's like, yo, like these teams play a whole season, and like you know who the best teams are after the season's over. Like in the EPL, they don't have a playoff. It's just, oh, you you have the best record, all right? You're the best team. Like that's it. And for baseball, for a lot of this history, that's kind of how it was, and it made it unique. It, it may not be the most exciting thing, but I I kind of like that aspect. And you know, the more you expand those playoffs, the more we kind of lose that, and teams can kind of just be you know decent or mediocre, and they can still find their way into a World Series, like the Atlanta Braves were this year. Braves weren't a world-beating kind of team. They didn't win 90 games. But they got hot. They got a hell of a leader in, in Freddie Freeman, who for some reason they seem to be messing around in terms of whether or not they actually want to pay him. I don't really understand Kansas that. Kansas City Giants had won the pennant if this was 1948. Yeah, they would have won the pennant. We, we couldn't get out of the wild card. Yeah, they couldn't get out of the first round. <laughs> so, so, so now we're talking about we're going to expand it to more teams to play against yeah. each other? No, I, I don't need to see that. Like, I don't want to see that at all. So, I, I think 12 is fine. I'm fine with expansion to some degree because I think the 10-team field is ridiculous. It's a stupid number. Yeah. Like, you yeah. cannot have a, 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 a sport that's based off of we play series in order to determine who the best teams are. You can't then say we're going to determine who advances one, in, a playoffs, in a playoff round by playing one game. Baseball is about building a rotation of players, building a bench of players, play, building, you know, teams that, you know, players, some, sometimes you got teams that are platooning guys. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous to say one game determines who, who decides to continue to play on for a World Series. That doesn't make any sense. It's a, it was a, it's a dumb idea. It's a terrible idea. And to me, besides, and what we've heard is besides really the Yankees in the Red Sox last year and maybe a couple of examples, it, you know, it really seems to have only moved the needle. It really hasn't moved the needle much for viewership, for fans. It's brought in money, but it was dumb, you know? So they had to get back to a new, a bigger number, a newer number, just to reset everything. But 14 would have been way too much. But again, like, if, if, if that was 
if those were really the issues of why we were not having baseball, I could almost live with that. At least we we actually really talking about what's best for the sport. Like we're having this conversation now, and it's way more engaging and way more interesting to me than complaining about these guys not being able to figure out the competitive uh, balance tax. You know what I'm saying? Like, but but that's not what's happening here. Like like we're talking about stuff that that, that again only like a, a true expert would have to like really understand for it to make sense to them. And, and it's uh it's sad, man. It's a sad day. Like I said, at this point in time, I do not wish for the professional divides of many people. But whenever Rob Manfred decides it's time for him to go into the private sector, I will celebrate that day like many other baseball fans around America. That's the other thing that you mentioned, really, when it goes back to Rob Manfred, you know, whether or not we're how, – how we're evaluating his job, you know, on the merits of – like you said, the merits of the, the minutia of the CBA, like that's how it may seem like his job is. That may seem what his job is, is to make sure that these games are being played. But like you said, even more so is Rob Manfred's, it's it, it, like his job, number one, is to be the PR face of baseball. And yes. right now it's a public relations crisis going yeah. on. You know, and whether or not it's because of Rob Manfred or not, he is taking the brunt of it, and and he is not helping that situation at all. He's not helping that situation. <laughs> like you look at Roger Goodell, the NFL has had three or four firestorms, like over the last four or five years. I was like, say, over the last two or three months. I was gonna say, and, and, including the last two or three months. And Roger Goodell has done an admirable job for the league in trying to quell those as best as possible, handle those situations very delicately. He understands. Let me not make a joke or a light out of these things because i know that if i do i'm not going to look good and the league's not going to look good and it's going to become a, a, a disaster if people start saying roger because we there was a time when people were like roger Goodell's a clown this guy's this yeah. and that i mean it's it still happening you know mm-hmm. and when you when you you the, the job the job of the commissioner is that you, you want to take the take the 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 weight off of the league's back as opposed to adding more, adding more fuel to the fire of, of, of the fans, and that's he's not doing a good job of that. So again, like you said, we could talk about how much money he's made them, but from a from a PR standpoint, that that's arguably the more important job of these major sports league commissioners. He, he's not doing a great job. Right I'm, I looked up uh, the issues with this 14 team playoff, and according to this here. Um, Apparently, the players are arguing that making it easier for teams to make the postseason will de-incentivize spending money on players. Disincentivize, by the way, is the word. I butchered right. that. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> I, it's, it's I, like, I understand that, that logic, but deep, I feel like that's some like mental gymnastic that I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, if it's some deep, deep minutia or deep, deep thinking that it's a projection that we can't really say. Theoretically speaking, I disagree because I just think in sports in general, I don't think we've ever seen penny pinching because of expanded playoffs. I, you know, like just just my that's my thought process. I don't know if just based off of the like the NFL, you know, as we've seen the playoffs expand, like that hasn't been a thought of like, well, we don't we don't have to 
spend as much. I mean, obviously there's there's a cap in, in a lot of these other sports, but the goal isn't just to make the playoffs. I mean, for some teams it is, but mm-hmm. theoretically the goal is to win a championship. So, you know, I guess it's all about it's all about how you, you know, it's all about asset allocation and resource allocation. Yeah, like that, that explanation sounds more like you're using this as a bargaining chip. Right. Which it may work because it sounds, I mean, it sounded like when in terms of these fake negotiations that were supposed to be going someplace, it sounded like MLB was just, all right, fine, we'll do 12. But like here's the other things we're going to want to demand if you guys are stuck on 12 and uh, Major Baseball wasn't budging. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not convinced of that argument because to me, I, I think that you'll have more. That's million, like, you have more. I think you're gonna have more middling teams that are just gonna be like, "Yo, man, like, yo, we 500, but if we get, you know, you know, name X player in here. We get, we get Yelich. Like, you know, all of a sudden we're we could be in the postseason. Like, I think you're gonna see more of that than teams saying, "Nah, we 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 uh, we are the, are the players we good. Band we, it, don't, it don't matter that. Uh, like, it don't, it don't matter that, that, that we we stink." Like, are they going to ban Moneyball? Like, I, you know, there's <laughs> honestly, I don't think these teams, these teams are teams are too sophisticated to worry. I think about that kind of stuff nowadays, particularly in baseball. Like, you know, if if they're going to penny pinch, again, it'll be it'll be like what the Oakland A's did, you know, <laughs> with Billy Bean during the Moneyball era. Like, it's it's, I don't really think that it, you know they're going to be too concerned about you know, an expanded playoff because of an expanded playoff, the math of us having a higher chance of making the playoffs. Now we don't have to do as much. Like, I mean, they every team's going to, going to, going to be going to, going to, going to want it, but it's not going to stop you from acquiring players that you think is going to, that you think are going to help your team. I don't know. I mean, there, there, there's a deeper conversation about, or do the, do you build your team a certain way now knowing that you may need guys for the postseason versus the regular season if you feel you have a higher chance of making it? I don't know. It's again, I it's 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 too it's too uh hypothetical. Yeah, I think it's too hypothetical to play out those games and have come to a certain conclusion. My right. only certain conclusion of why I'm against it is is just taking away the essence of what postseason baseball is supposed to be, which is right excellent teams playing at the highest level you're getting worse teams involved why you'd want that besides money i don't know um because every other league keeps expanding and they have all these teams in these playoffs and i i just think that major baseball is is there's some things where you got to come with the time but there are other things i think that is important for them to stick to their tradition stick to their values and uh the postseason being difficult to make i think is one of them but they seem to disagree Let's move on, man. I, I can't talk more about this these these, these clowns uh, in this situation going on. It's a shame. I'm withholding my uh, MLB the Show pre order. You know, sad day for me because that's probably my favorite video game. But I can't give these guys any bread. I can't even give these guys one cent until they figure out what's going on. And you know, yeah, luckily, and you know, there's as someone who, who remembers playing NBA 2K during the lockout, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun, man. It's only the rosters are updated. It's a little depressing. I'm gonna be playing with a half, half, half the roster is gonna be updated. Half of them won't be. Like you know, you're gonna have a, you're gonna have you know, Carlos Correa is gonna be a free agent. <laughs> you know, he's not gonna be on a team. It's gonna be stupid. I don't need to see that. 
I can't yeah, start. You, I can't. I mean, you can't start. You can't start a road to the show or the franchise because you know just these guys are gonna be signing <laughs> the random ass teams. Like, you, nah, we don't. We don't need that. <laughs> no, look now to the, the show's credit. I always, I always get annoyed by it, but the, the game comes out so darn late. Like you know, they, this season they might get this thing rolling before that game actually comes out. I think it comes out in April. Yeah, uh, yeah. which I, I still don't understand. I think Sony got to do a better job. That game has to be ready by opening day, but maybe uh, who knows when that's going to be now. So, so I guess maybe they, 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 it's not as important as I thought it was. But uh, we spent enough time on MLB. Uh, let's let's quickly talk about uh, Harden, James Harden. Philadelphia 76ers, new acquisition. He's played several games with the team. He made his Philadelphia debut in terms of playing in front of the Sixers fans this Wednesday against the New York Knicks, second half of a home-and-home series they had with the Knicks. They swept that home-and-home series. I got to say, Harden looks real good, man. He looks real good. Um, We've seen Harden kind of do this game before where he looks like he don't want to be someplace, and he's kind of going through the motions, and then he goes to a new place. And he looks like an MVP guy again. And nobody really should be surprised that this is happening. Though I think some people are. Because I think people really thought he looked cooked in Brooklyn. But he's looked outstanding, man. We're talking about 27 points against Minnesota, 29 against New York. And then at home tonight, 29, 26 against New York again. Uh, 16 assists, 12 assists, 9 assists. I mean, he's had a triple-double in one of these games. Him and Embiid seem like a hand-in-glove fit right now. And, again, I am not that surprised. I, I felt like a lot of people were really trying to make this sound like this great thing for the Brooklyn Nets and that Philly who had, you know, had had taken a flyer on somebody that wasn't what we thought he was. I didn't quite understand that because we've seen Harden do this before. It would be different if, if I'd never seen Harden, you know, mail it in and then place it. All of a sudden look like he's an MVP kind of guy again. But I, I've seen him do it. How long he can keep playing like that, that I don't know. But Philly looks tough. You know, I do want to temper the expectation and temper some of the excitement because two of these games were against the Knicks. And, you know, you don't need me to tell you how sorry they are. But if you need me to, I will tell you they're pretty darn sorry. And they beat Minnesota in that first game. And Minnesota, you know, a good team, but they've had some injuries of late. You know, Ant, I know Ant Edwards has been in and out of the lineup recently. But this Harden thing, man, it, it looks really solid. You know, the the concern about whether or not they have enough depth on the bench and whether or not they have enough shooting. So far, I don't see much of that. And it seems like Tyrese Maxey is somehow taking the game to another level playing next to James Harden, which I think is – that is a little surprising to me. I thought That's the, yeah, that, that, Max- that is the part of the equation that very few people predicted. Yeah, because Maxey now in these three games is only three games, but he legitimately looks like a number three on a championship caliber team, which I did not expect. In the, I did not expect three, at all. Yeah, that's, that's the key. In these three games, yes. I'm I don't, uh, yeah, I don't In these three games, game. I'm going to keep saying that. In these three games. <laughs> but watching these three games, that guy is a problem. And he's such a problem that their actual problem, and I say this in a bad way, Tobias Harris, has become like irrelevant in terms of how bad he's playing. Because Tyus Maxey has been so good. I think this last game against the Knicks, he did play a lot better. But if they get Harris going with the way Maxey's playing, Philly is going to be tough, man. You just cannot – I don't care how much you dislike Harden. I don't care how much you dislike Maury. You cannot just say, oh, I don't, I don't, they're not really going to be nothing. Don't worry about them. They're going to be a really tough out in the postseason. And with Brooklyn, Kevin Durant will be returning to the lineup this uh, this week, which is great news for the Brooklyn Nets. He had that MCL sprain that sidelined him for more than a month already, almost two months I think now at this point. Um, 
the vaccine situation with Kyrie is we don't really know. Well, we know his situation. He's not getting the vaccine, but in terms of what the situation rather in New York is a better way to put it. We don't really know because, you know, if anybody knows anything about New York politics, you know, the mayor of New York is as unpredictable as Kyrie Irving. <laughs> so we've seen him say, oh, yeah, we're going to get this thing out of here. And then now he's like, oh, we can't make rules for other people and not for him, you know. And so now there's kind of concern about will this thing get lifted anytime soon? So we still don't know when he's going to be able playing home games. I assume it will be at least in the postseason, but I don't like there was a thought that it would be like this week. That's not happening. So, so, so you, you have that uncertainty with Durant coming from an injury, Kyrie having this vaccine situation still unsettled. And then the larger concern is their acquisition that they got for James Harden, Ben Simmons. We have no idea when he's going to take the court. You had Brian Windhorst today, Kendall, saying he ain't playing this week. He ain't playing next week, probably. And he might not play the rest of the month. He's not been cleared to practice. They say he's been dealing with a a, a black a back flare up. Has been how it's been described. Um, the Nets have still continued to struggle because they you know only have Kyrie for home games and and and, and they, they they just lost back to back games to the Toronto Raptors. They're playing right now in terms of their their, their seeding in the, in the in the in the playoffs. They're squarely in this playing situation. I, I don't think they're gonna get out of it. They they're gonna have to play in the playing game. And it's just, it's just very uncertain. They're a team that you don't want to mess with if they get into the postseason. I saw someone mention that maybe if you're any of those top teams, you should try to avoid the number one seed if it looks like Brooklyn's going to be that team. They might be right about that. But I also feel like this idea that, oh, regardless of how bad things are right now, Brooklyn's going to be there in the end in like terms of deciding who's going to win the East. I you can't make that determination right now. There's way too much uncertainty. How, how how's your read of these situations in Brooklyn and Philly? Yeah, I mean, real quick. I mean, I think Philly, uh, it's going great, absolutely. First of all, yuck on both these teams. I mean, obviously, as a Celtics fan, I, I don't really <laughs> yeah, look at Knicks fan. I got no, I got love for these teams either. I don't more love for Philly, about. but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't enjoy talking about either one of these teams, but. Like you said, got to give credit where credit's due to, to, to Philly right now. They're playing great basketball, uh, albeit against bad basketball teams. But, you know, I mean, when Celtics were playing great, I wasn't saying, well, it's against bad basketball teams. So, <laughs> you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. Um, but the question, honestly, is not even about the competition as much as it is about we know what James Harden's about in the regular season when he's playing great. But the problem with Harden tends to be Sometimes even when he is playing great in the regular season, the postseason doesn't look as dynamic, doesn't look mm-hmm. as special. And what does that fit look like in the playoffs with Joel Embiid? I mean, you would think it, it would look great. I mean, we don't we didn't see we didn't really get a chance to see Harden healthy last season in the playoffs and what that would have looked like um for the most part. And you know, he can't be much worse than Ben Simmons was in the playoffs for yeah, Philly. That's, that's what Philly will tell you. I'll tell you that. Four or five years, you know, I mean, every year it was a disaster. So, you know, it, that that is going to be interesting. But honestly, that's not really the bar. The bar shouldn't be, well, he can't be worse than Ben Simmons because you're trying to win a championship. Or at least you're trying to win the right. East if you're Philly. You haven't been to the finals since 
since what 2000 yeah a little bit better than ben simmons is not gonna get it done philly newsflash yeah you know i mean he's gotta be he's gotta be electric you know this east is gonna be tough every round it's a monster man it's a yeah. monster and so um harden's gonna have to play well and I, again i think he he should and Embiid, you know almost certainly play well um but i think you mentioned that key is that finding that third guy and right now tyrese maxey's playing on that level um I am a little skeptical still, you know, maybe he'll, he'll prove me wrong. I'm a little skeptical on how long he can keep up this 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 high level of play. Well, you're saying that because uh, he didn't do it to your team. Fair enough. <laughs> I saw him fair do it enough. to my team. He had Emmanuel quickly just running around in circles. I was like, <laughs> this is the same. These guys were on the same team. And quickly was the SE player here. This, 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 we can't do nothing with this guy? He was unguard. He was unguardable in these games. Yeah, it's it's gonna be fascinating, man. Because I there's there's a case to be made. I mean, look, I I'd rather see Philly than Milwaukee as a Boston Celtics fan. Um, they're the only team I could probably say definitively that I'd rather not see. Um, you know, you you could make a case for Brooklyn, but Brooklyn has just been so chaotic they're like you said you really don't know like if they just don't figure it out like they couldn't really figure it out last year maybe there are a team you want to see if the, if the vaccine situation doesn't change in new york and simmons is hobbled and durant's out there on an island with andre drummond and seth curry maybe that is the team you want to play yeah um so that that they're they're an, an unknown i will say that i'm not too worried about the ben simmons situation right now. i think he is a it's it's a little concerning that he's not ready to play. But I, honestly I wasn't expecting him to play much into March. Like I figured this was going to take a long time. Um the back situation, that is what bothers you because you feel like he's you know, what has he been doing? What has he been doing? How, how is yeah. he hurt? How is he already hurt? <laughs> yeah, that, like it doesn't really compute unless it's like you know, just the, the, the he, lack he of wasn't, He wasn't doing anything, and that's yeah, why he's hurt. Because now he's trying to do something, and, oh, I flared my back. I threw out my yeah, back. Yeah, that, that's Which the, is, that's a bad sign to me. It's like, we, we, why were you not in shape? You knew a trade was coming. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the concerning part if you're the Nets. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the East is, 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 is really strange right now. And then, look, I mean, don't, don't, don't look now, but. 538, the favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference is the Boston Celtics, according to 538. <laughs> oh, God. You had to get that in there. And the second, they're the second most likely team to win a title outside of the Phoenix Sun. I tell you so, what, man. We we uh we got we to gotta give uh, Ime Udoka his flowers. Um, he's, doing a, he's doing a pretty good job. When they, when they blew that 27-point lead to the Knicks, we were throwing dirt on his grave. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Ime Udoka's fault. And so it can't be emailed over fault when things are going bad. Yeah, and going good. no credit when they winning. They are only two and a half games out of the division lead. They're right yeah. there, man. Celtics, and, and and you know that's the one thing about you know when you have a new coach and especially a rookie coach, you, you do got to give it a little more time. I will say that that Derek White trade was an excellent move. Like like that like getting a, a real point guard to come in there. Um, 
a guy. Just another great. guy who compliments Brown and Tatum so perfect. Compliments them well, credibility. Like that was a really solid pickup. And I'm not. He's not. It's not a guy that's gonna change the world for some teams. But it's just, those are the kind of the differences between like the decent organizations and the very good ones. You know, the ones that can say, "All right, we're limited in what we can do, but can a tweak here or there kind of take us to another level?" And that's kind of that's kind of movie you see that with them. It's like, oh yeah, you got a guy there, White. You know, they have they lost since he showed up. <laughs> yeah, they only lost like once. Like he's played eight games. One for them. guy. They lost twice. Once or twice. And it was yeah. Detroit and, and, and Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Bizarre losses. Yeah. You know. They won six of those games. Yeah. And one of them, they beat Philly by like 100. Yeah. So, and that was, of course, before they had Harden. But, man, it's, it's things are starting to look interesting in Boston. We're freestyling a little bit here, Kendall. I, I want to ask you this because I'm watching, I watched that, you know, some of the highlights from the game last night. And I'm watching Luka Doncic hunting LeBron on. Uh, pick, and, yeah. pick and roll switches. And is it time to pay attention to the Dallas Mavericks in the West? Is the fighting Jason, are the fighting Jason kids a factor? Because Luka Doncic <laughs> looked like, as soon as they got rid of that Porzingis, he's like, thank God they got rid of that bum. Because now it was funny, he, his he, he pulled the James Harden. Because he wasn't like this when Porzingis was with them. <laughs> now the guy is a monster again. Oh, yes. I mean, he's led the league in scoring since like February or something like that. Like, yeah, he's played. He's played excellent. Um, I mean, he did the James Harden. He had it was a James Harden playbook. He came in out of shape. Yeah, he looked like he wasn't even trying that hard. And all of a sudden, they got rid of Porzingis, and he was like, "Oh, all right, it's time to ball now." He, it's funny. His interview with Milik Andrews. It was the most. You could tell. You could tell him Porzingis don't like. No, nah, there's real beef. They actually yeah, asked him about the trade and whatnot, and he was like. Yeah, you know, you know, obviously with his accent, he was like, "Yeah, you know, I found out all my, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was sleeping, and I woke up and I saw the trade happen. I was like, really? I had no idea this was gonna happen, and uh, you know, it's just it's unfortunate, it didn't work out. But in my head, I'm like, first of all, there's no way he had no idea that. Oh yeah, I was gonna say he was sleeping. It was the best sleep he ever had. Cause yeah, because he, he, he knew when he woke up, Porzingis was gonna be in a different city. He was gonna be. He was gonna be out of the dollars by the time he woke up from that nap. Yeah, so it was, like, a, it was, was the best sleep yeah. Luka Doncic has had in years, probably. Yeah, I mean that that complete cap, and and then, again, <laughs> and just no acknowledgement really for things. Just beyond, yeah, it just it, it didn't work out. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, can, can you remember a time when a guy lost his quote unquote number two and like didn't replace him with anybody that you consider a number two, and that guy? be way more Real. happier and play way better. I don't yeah. know if I've ever seen this before. Yeah, I know, right? It's, a, it's, it's a, very it's rare. <laughs> like, like, you lose your number two. You're a legit number two. And you're trying to win a championship. And you trade him for two guys that just, like, very average type players you trade him for. And you step your game up, and the team steps his game up in this massive way. That doesn't That does not happen very often, but that's what we've seen no. in Dallas. And shout out to Jason Kidd. We talked about how he was going to break their offense, and for the first half of that season, he definitely did break their offense. But Dallas plays defense, and that's going to make them interesting in the postseason because that was one of their biggest problems with Rick Carlisle. And they, they play guard small. So it's so unique that it's like crazy. they, yeah, they can go Dwight Powell and then not play really any bigs. It's like the it's like the Cavs, but in reverse. 
both teams, excellent defensive yeah. teams, but they're doing it in totally different ways. Yeah. They're so doing just it by being super switchable and yeah. super disruptive. And here yeah. we are. Credit to, to Jason Kidd, credit to Nico Harrison uh, as well, new GM. I mean, they've yeah. done a they've done an excellent job. But look, I mean, this is I mean, look, they're a team. I, I kind of I don't even want to like jinx it because I've been saying for years like, oh, look, watch out for the Dallas Mavericks, and they they <laughs> yeah. you know Luca played great in the playoffs and they losing the first round despite a great form so, of Luca. Yep. So I don't want to I don't want to really jinx it, um, but. I don't. What I'll say is, is I don't feel any differently this year than I have the last two years. But I'll say right now, man. If if Dallas special. gets if Dallas gets Utah in the first round, they might get Utah out of here. And that's right now where it's looking. Interesting. If I'm Dallas, man, I'm driving. I'm driving. I'm getting a limo. I'm I'm getting the charter for Utah from the come to my arena. You, you think that's a bad matchup for Gobert and those guys? Oh, uh, if if Luca is cooking LeBron on switches, what do you think he's gonna do to Gobert? Yeah. Who wants to sit in the paint and not even come outside the uh, out to the arc? They got multiple defenders where if Don, because Utah is also a team that likes to hunt on switches. They got a lot of guys that will be fine. I mean, Garden Spider is a nightmare, but they 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 are they are they are comfortable in those kind of positions trying to keep guys out of the paint with the multiple defenders that they have. That's a not a good that is not a good matchup for them at all. And I don't think they got anybody that can guard Luka Doncic. Who's the matchup on Utah? Who's guarding him? It might be to see a lot of Royce O'Neal. Is Royce O'Neal? He's right. He's, yeah. he's, sending, he's sending a limo to Royce O'Neal. He's sending a limo. Royce O'Neal <laughs> is a, a rugged, tough guy. He's also 6'4". He's sending a limo to, to Royce O'Neal for however many games that series is. Now, Bogdanovich is bigger and stronger, and he's a much better defender he gets credit for. But, I mean, those are the guys we're talking about. And I just watched yeah. him hunt LeBron James in a clutch situation and was scoring on him at will. They're sending a limo to the Jazz if they get to play against them in the first round. I'm saying that right now. Um, let, 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 Let's shift gears here. Let's talk a little bit about this football stuff. I've called it a QB bonanza. That's what I feel like we've seen at the NFL Combine as the coaches got to kind of uh, lay out some of the the, the – first kind of ideas and the first talking points for their off seasons. I saw Pete Carroll talking about his relationship with Russell Wilson and how, you know, they feel like it's solid and, and, you know, they're on the same page. It's always weird when Pete Carroll talks, cause he says all these things and makes it sound like he's saying something of substance. But then I look back, I'm like, what did he really say? He, he didn't say Russell Wilson's definitely gonna be here next year. But he was just, Oh yeah. Communication is great. We know that when we get this thing right, it's me and him together. So Russell Wilson situation, doesn't sound like something that's going to be imminently, you know, resolved in terms of him being traded, but not necessarily 100% clarity. Other situations, there seem to be a little more clarity in terms of teams ready to move on. Uh, you know, Frank uh, or Reich, I almost looked like he was, like, trying to, like, almost apologize to Carson Wentz in on the podium. He was like, I, I rooted for this guy. I, I begged for them to get him. And he's, a, I think he's a great quarterback. But it just may not be here. That's how he ended his press conference. I was like, oh, my God. That was really weird. So Wentz sounds like he might be out the door. The Titans saying, look, Ryan Tannehill is the guy. But we are definitely going to probably take a quarterback in this draft. That was a little stunning to me. Ryan Tannehill is not an old guy. 
I didn't expect that finding his replacement in the draft was going to be a priority, but they've met with multiple quarterbacks. Um, I know uh, they are meeting with Ritter, and, and they've met with a couple other guys already. So Titans apparently definitely in the, the draft, uh, uh, the draft Ritter, game. You saw Desmond Ritter real quick. He said that he's, uh, he's like, I modeled my game after uh, Ryan Tannehill and Deshaun Watson. Yes, he uh, did. Those are... Two names I did not expect anybody to say at the no. combine. Out of my game after these guys. No. <laughs> for, for very no, reasons. Not. But yes. Particularly uh Ryan Tannehill was strange because you know, that's like that's like a, a point guard saying, Yeah, I modeled my game after Ricky Rubio. Like Right. I was gonna say like you know, like a like a Malcolm Brogdon. It's just like <laughs> Yeah, Brogdon, like, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like I mean, he's a good player and shout out to Michael yeah, Bro- Malcolm cool. Brogdon. I mean, but like, in the right way. But okay, that's really who you modeled your game after. <laughs> Yeah, that was weird. That that was weird. Those things were interesting. But then when I see Tennessee looking for his replacement, I'm like, yeah, oh, well, they, his agent may have said, "Yo, throw this out there. You know, let them know. Hey, <laughs> you know, you like Ryan Tannehill? Well, I'm the next Ryan Tannehill." <laughs> Which again, I don't know <laughs> what that means, but that that I, I saw that too, and I was like, "That's a very interesting two people to name as your NFL idols at the point at this point in time." Um, <laughs> the Packers situation, Lafleur. Basically saying, look, we got to give Rodgers his space. We can't really be pressing him. He's going to make his decision whenever he does, which is, it's to me, ludicrous. We're in March, and we still don't know if he's returning to the team. Him and Brett Favre, man, they're, they're very alike. You know, I, I I sent a tweet to you. I sent a post to you guys that, you know, you know, Brett Favre is like Green Goblin in the first Spider-Man movie. And he's talking to Spider-Man. He's like, you and I, we're much alike. It, it's that, that, they are because I'm seeing it's like the same thing all over again. I can't believe I'm living this same thing all over again, where this guy can't tell his team whether or not he's coming, whether or not he's going, whether or not he wants to be traded. He's not saying anything. He's putting out Instagram posts talking about, oh, I, I love my ex girlfriend and I love my teammates. Oh, but actually, I, I was it was just a cleanse I was doing. It's like it, it, this guy is unbelievable. Uh, but you know, the Packers are playing it the only way they can. I believe is is just you just have to wait it out. Because you got if you can have Rodgers back, you got to take him back. But he's such a wild card personality. You don't want to upset him or do anything that would make him do anything rash. So you got you got to just you're just along for the roller coaster. You really have no control of the situation, which can't feel good for them. But I think they're saying all the right things. And I think finally the last bit of stuff I saw was Lovey Smith. Well, one the Dolphins saying we are definitely out on Deshaun Watson, and it was yeah. really weird to even see. Um, Chris Greer, like, mentioned Deshaun by name. You don't really see, you know, teams mention other players by name in any situation, but I guess. He Howie like Roseman he said there, he, he didn't, I mean, you know Howie Roseman's not going to say that yeah. out on anybody, but he backed Jalen Hurts. Yeah. He responded to a question about Watson by saying, we have Jalen Hurts. He made, he, he took us to the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me, I still feel like there's wiggle room there. I'm like, okay, those are facts that happen. That doesn't answer yeah. whether or not you're interested in Deshaun <laughs> to Watson. Is Jalen Hurts your current quarterback? Yes, that's true. Did he take you to the playoffs? Yes, that's true. None of those <laughs> things mean Deshaun Watson ain't in play for you. Like you're just, yeah, it's like, you're just naming like, things that happened. If I, if I, if, you know, if you really wanted to dig into that, I'd be like, all right, how we uh, finish the sentence, and then what happened in the field? Uh, yeah, with Jalen Hurts the quarterback, and I think that would. That would sort of lead you down a path where you start to wonder why those questions. Then we start to figure out why these questions are being asked. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think I think he I think he was very tactful in answering that. I think that they expect Hurts to be their guy, 
But they also met with quarterbacks. They met with Sam Howell. Like, why would you meet with Sam? Now, look, we know the Eagles' philosophy has always been uh, you're only as good as your backup. Um, going back to, you know, when Andy Reid was, was coaching there. Um, and so they've always had multiple quality quarterbacks on the roster. Or at least that's, that's the goal. Um, so I guess it, not, it should be a shock, but I just don't know if – and they have a bunch of draft picks, so they may say we could probably burn one in a quarterback. But man, it was weird when they drafted Hurts when they already had Wentz. It'd be also very weird if they drafted another quarterback in this year's draft. Hi. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why it wouldn't be super weird to me is because you know, I I keep going back and forth to whether or not I'm being too harsh on Hurts in that playoff performance and just him as a player, but I just don't see you know, starting quarterback that's going to take me to multiple playoffs throughout my tenure, you know, as my G, if I'm a GM, like, he just looks very pedestrian to me. He's a good player. We know he's extremely hardworking, and his, 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 integ- his integrity and his intangibles are super high, which is why, why I would understand really wanting to give him a real shot. But I, I, don't, I, just, don't, I just don't see a star quarterback there. I, I really don't. And I was having a conversation off air with somebody about, you know, or, you know, oh, like, you know, if you're Philly, then why would you be interested in Rodgers? Like, Rodgers hasn't won anything in the postseason. I'm like, did you watch Jalen Hurts play playoff football last year? Did you watch that game? It's sort of – that, and it's funny you bring up Rodgers, you bring up Deshaun Watson. So I think that's really the conversation. Like, I wouldn't draft a quarterback, but I think the, the comparison for me with Hurts – and this isn't even really meant to be disrespect because, I mean, I, you know me, I, I think that the guy got a little bit of a raw deal. But it, you sort of wonder, is it Tim Tebow in his last year in Denver mm. where, you know, look, he won games. Right. So it was a little gimmicky. You know, right. you, we all knew it was a little gimmicky. Uh, and I think the way Hurts won games a lot this year wasn't conventional. That's what I'll say. No. I mean, it might be a little bit. It, it, was, it, was, it wasn't conventional. They, it he does impact their run game, you know, with his ability to run the football and right. um, be sort of a, a, a you know eye candy that the defense has to worry about. And he made Miles Sanders and uh, Boston Scott these guys better by being there. But you know, as we saw with Denver, as much as they love Tebow, once Peyton Manning became available, they were, you know they didn't want to get rid of T- Tim Tebow, but there was no conversation about should we go after Peyton Manning. And they were a similar um, so, team where they didn't look nothing like no Super Bowl team with Tim Tebow. No. But putting a real supernova at quarterback with some of the young talent that they had, all yeah. of a sudden they were a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. Like, the biggest I difference feel that. Like that like that's to me could happen if you got an Aaron Rodgers. Now I know Aaron's had his right. postseason issues, but we can't be talking about we got Jalen Hurts, so we good. Like I don't I don't I don't I don't buy that at all. <laughs> right. It, the only difference between those teams is that Tebow is not as good as Hurts. That's why I no, no, no. He's not as good as Hurts. Let me be very clear. He wasn't as good as Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And so the 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 Denver Broncos defense carried them far more than the Eagles defense did. So that that's the really that's really now I would argue, and the Peyton Manning, I mean he was so good like when he came back and that was a surprise to to a lot of people coming off an injury. But like, you know, before they made the jump, before when they went after him, like you could argue that. The gap between Rodgers and Hurts is bigger than the gap was between Peyton and 
Peyton come over neck injury and and uh, Tebow, you know. Yeah. Um, now Watson's a lot closer, but yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that that'll 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 be interesting to watch. Um, were there any the, more quarterback musings that that intrigued you? Well, uh, the, the 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 last one I think we should mention it quickly is this Kyler Murray situation. Yeah, which Kyler wasn't really wasn't litigated at the combine from what I saw, but we saw they, it no, out. Think, they asked. It wasn't litigated at the combine, but they right. they definitely asked Kingsbury and Steve Kime about it. They were very, uh, you know, Kime didn't want to answer. He was just like, "Look, it's business. Agent's doing his job." <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> basically. Uh, and Kingsbury was like, you know, they were like, you know, have you took? He was like, have you spoken to Kyler? Like, yeah, I talk to Kyler all the time. They're like, about what? Uh, football. You know, <laughs> like, and, and they have the same agent. And that's something we've talked about in the show since, you know, he was coming out of the draft. So it's an awkward situation. Did you see that those, I, I, again, I'll be respectful. Did you see that those guys had got, you saw those guys got Yeah, they got extensions. extensions. I was going to say that. Yeah, they got extensions, by the way. They're going to be, they're, apparently they're, they're assigned to 2027. The optics of that aren't great. No. No. Regardless of how you feel about Cliff Kingsbury, I have been more pro Kingsbury than most people. Uh, regardless of how you feel about Steve Kine. Um, the optics of <laughs> you not being able to find the money <laughs> when it comes to the franchise quarterback. And I know it's different. We always talk about how the, the you know, we talked about it yesterday off air that coaching and GM contracts are a lot different than, than players. But still, yes. the optics of you not being able to find find the money when it comes to paying Kyler and then all of a sudden announcing extensions for your coaching GM aren't isn't great. It's not no, great. and to me, it looks more also when you look at it, it's in some ways it kind of paints – Kyler is kind of the problem. The way you look at it, you're like, oh, the right. coach and GM, nah, them guys did they did their jobs. We're gonna give them their money. Kyler, yeah, they're eh, not as Kyler is. Eh, we'll, we'll play this thing out. Let's, let's 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 see how this thing. If you don't give Kyler, <laughs> let's see how this thing goes. If you don't give Kyler an extension, you're putting him on the same hot seat. That maybe not the same hot seat Daniel Jones is on because the Giants didn't even pick up. Oh his yeah, yeah, he's on his, his seat is scolding. Yeah, that's a different hot seat. You might as well be sitting on like a, a Hawaiian um, volcano. Isn't it crazy how no one in that draft class, first of all, no one in that draft class, that quarterback class, has got an extension. But second of all, no one, mm. the only ones even going to get their option picked up is Kyler. Wow. But, it's, um, it is wild. You know, it shows you this quarterback thing. Is and but we knew speaking, it was a bad class. But speaking of Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray, I'm going to freestyle again real quick here. There you go. Tell you what I told yeah. you off air. The Giants should be extremely aggressive in trying to trade for Kyler Murray. That is, that to me, if I was Brian Dayball and Shane and seeing how this thing is playing out, seeing, you know, Kyler's agent and seeing like Kyler being willing to play ball with being this massive heel. And like, I mean, this thing, I I don't, I can't believe Kyler's acting like this, first of all. It's just very, I, I never saw him as a character or anybody like, but like he's fully embracing this. Like, I don't know what you call what he's doing. Like, I it's mean, almost, it's almost like it's almost like when you like, it's like, yo, man, like people keep talking about Aaron Rodgers. Like, what's the next thing I can do to make people talk about me again? Because every time I think we're off Kyler Murray and what he's doing on social media, somehow he's doing something else. And I'm like, man, he really wants to make it known that he is not happy with something. And then finally, this week, we learned it's money. But almost the way he's going about it is so aggressive. It's almost like I, I, I think that 
he would be very fine with getting that money somewhere else. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Arizona told him, you know, through back channels, the agent. Again, the agent is the agent for the coach. So I don't know how these conversations are even happening. Uh, <laughs> but I think for whatever reason, they, they, the, 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 the message has been clear that, you know, and it may not even be the GM, it may be the ownership, but they don't feel comfortable paying him until he plays another game. Like, and, and the Bidwell family was not happy with how that season ended. They're not a family that usually spends a lot of money. And they're kind of like, the, they're kinda like, the, they're kinda like the Western, the Western Brown family. Right. And they look at what happened and the money they spent to try to make things better around Kyler. Got, they got, a, got what? Yeah. They got a result that I think for them was unacceptable. You blew the division and then you got your doors blown off and on national TV in the first Monday night football playoff game ever. And everybody around the world watched us just get embarrassed like that. And you were the worst player on the field. I, that did not sit well with them, I think. And to the point where I think they were like, yo, I'll give this coach who put you in a terrible position, this GM who got guys who couldn't stay healthy, I'll pay them before I pay you. They seem to be sending him a message, which is, I guess is kind of why maybe we're seeing him act out the way he is. The Kyler and Murray. If I'm the New York Giants, man, I, I think about Brian Dayball and yeah. his offensive creativity, coaching a player like Kyler Murray. The Giants are not a very good team, but they do have some weapons. Yeah. You know, they just had guys that get hurt. They couldn't stay healthy. But if you're telling me I get Shepard and Galladay healthy this year, you know, Kadarius, Tony can can ball. And we'll see what happens with Saquon. If I trade him and I try to get a new running back or I keep him, you might be cooking with gas in New York if you figure that offensive line. And now you got a box office superstar in the New York market. If I'm the and, Giants, that would be my first call. I'm not getting those old guys whistling and Rodgers. I'm going after Kyler Murray. And I would say you're getting the best quarterback in the division. Yeah. I know some people may say Dak. That's a debate that could be had, but certainly debate after the way Kyler played in the playoffs, but it's not like Dak lit it up either, right? So, (laughs) so you know, it's, it's, to me, that is, that is certainly a team that, that should be aggressive. I think every team should be aggressive. Every team that doesn't have a franchise quarterback. I think Kyler, um, I think Kyler has gotten a really bad rap through this whole situation, and I mean, some probably. When you say fault. bad rap, are you saying are you saying how he's acted or like who he is as a player? Uh, how he's is. acted, I would say no, he's earned. Yeah, I would say I'm saying a lot of that is probably his fault in terms of the demeanor and whatnot. I've you know I've I've bashed him for years on the on the body language the last couple of seasons that we've seen in Arizona, um. But all of that "quote unquote" baggage has affected people's perceptions of him as a player, and I still think he's a top ten quarterback, almost regardless of the baggage. And if you if you put him in the right situation, you know, I mean, he's a guy that before the injuries happened this season, and the injuries have happened now in the last two seasons, and affected his has affected his play. He was an MVP candidate, a really really strong MVP candidate. And I don't know. I feel like, you know, there are other, if you feel like, if you think you can get that guy, then 100%. You, 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 he is, to me, it, whatever you're willing to give up to get Deshaun Watson, I'm willing to give up to get Kyler Murray. Deshaun Watson is a guy who's had 
multiple injuries as well. I want to say multiple ACLs, if I'm not mistaken, like at least multiple knee injuries. Like there is a little bit more risk on on top, just and that's just on the field stuff, obviously. There's a little more risk involved in trading for Deshaun Watson. And we have people saying they'd be trade three or four first round picks. Like, to me, Kyler is less risky than Deshaun Watson. But um but I do think his case is very curious to me because I mean we saw we saw Larry Fitzgerald Sr. just blast him uh uh in the media this week i mean he's a sports writer in in minnesota uh and he called him called him spoiled called him, said he you know he's been given everything came in uh out of and they they, they gave him the, the they let him run the oklahoma offense out of college he didn't have to learn anything and you know he, he's he just turned him into a spoiled brat is essentially what Larry Fitzgerald said Larry Fitzgerald senior <laughs> i have to uh Yes. Point out. But that is it's interesting. Uh and look, you don't I don't know if he's speaking for, for his son or not, but man, that is uh clearly he has Yeah, a he, he he knows He knows that, things. He knows what he knows what it means for a guy with the name Lazarus Gerald to be writing that this guy is a spoiled loser. Yeah. He knows that. Yeah. And when he and, talks about and and Larry Fitzgerald Jr. knows that. Yes. So if that's happening that's happening for a reason. Yeah, and, and and when you talk about from day one coming in and them giving you everything, first of all, again, from an outsider, he's not lying. That's that's nope. how it looks. Yep. But again, he, he would know more than most people. Um and that is that is very interesting. And I you know, you do wonder again, some of the demeanor from Kyler has been shaky. And it, it, but it, then the other part wonders if you're the Cardinals and you invested so much into this guy, like why stop now? You know, like why get cheap now? It makes you wonder if there's, I think there's real scar tissue in the way that Kyler has probably supported himself. I mean, we've, I, we, we've heard That's the rumblings. Thinking. We've heard the rumblings that he has lost that locker room that, the leaders don't respect him. It's all to stuff. Me, you, it, you hear this stuff and you're like, you don't know what to make of it. You don't know if it's people trying them trying to position themselves for a better contract. You don't that's know. That's the only thing that would make sense. That's the like that. That's the only thing that would make all this other stuff make sense. Right. If, because if, if that's not true, and Kyler's been a, a a fine teammate and a captain, and just then I'd be like, why? Just because a couple of bad games. You're giving up on the guy. A couple of injuries. Yeah, you're giving yeah, up on the he's guy. A young player. Yeah. You know, you're gonna. And even though, even though, he, even though he's been injured, he's been a tough guy. He's played through a lot of those injuries. He's only missed about yeah. four or five games in his career. Yeah, he's exactly. Missed, he's missed one game each of the past three seasons. He missed uh, three this year, and he, but he's played through a lot of these nicks and necks. So he's been a tough guy for you. He's played, even when he's yeah. been hurt. So, yeah, it, it's it's something something is awry. Something is awry. And as it gets more and more bizarre, to me, it seems more and more kind of hard to kind of go back to normal. Like, how does he go back to, okay, I'm the guy, franchise quarterback in minicamp and training camp. Like, here we go. Like, and all that stuff you guys were talking about, ah, well, it really wasn't anything. It was just nothing. Like, I, yeah. I we know. talked about it off air, but I'll just mention it real quick. I think the Colts are making a mistake moving on from Carson. Because that's what they're doing. It's, they're making it pretty clear at this point. And, 
I just, I tend yeah I tend to agree with you because I feel like that the chance that they're definitely gonna get an upgrade is not that likely. Yeah, it's low. Even if you told me you're getting Jimmy Garoppolo, that's lateral. Uh, yeah, know, I don't think he's better than Carson Wentz. I'm gonna say I, I, that. I will say that on this podcast. I don't think that Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Carson Wentz. I, I, I don't think that you put Jimmy Garoppolo on the team this year. His numbers are better than Carson Wentz's. No way. I dug into Wentz's stats earlier this week. And last year in Philly was really the only only bad season. You know? And it, yeah, obviously a lot everything went bad in Philly last year. But that but the I mean this year in Indy was not that much different than some of his best seasons. I mean, besides the MV, the MVP level year, yeah. year two. You know, like he wasn't that much different than the like, year before that. Yeah, in some ways, he's kind of a prisoner of his own success from his second year. Yeah, because we thought this guy was, was we thought he was Josh Allen. Like what Josh yeah, Allen is now, that's what we thought Wentz was, and yeah. he hasn't been able to meet that level, even though he's played decent ball in certain in some of these years. Right, and, and he seems to be he seems to have this bugaboo of not being able to either avoid the big injury or avoid the big mistake. Right, you know, his he team needs to fall. Tends to fall flat on his face in very high profile fashion. It's not, it's not <laughs> yeah, good. exactly. And that that has led to a narrative that you know he just he can't get it done. And that that some of it you know he hasn't been able to get it done. But man, but again, if you're telling me your answer is Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm gonna look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, I think that they he, kind of. I think that they kind of, unless there's other stuff we don't know about. You know, were they upset that he wasn't vaccinated and then he got popped at the end of the year in a big situation, even though he did get to play that week with the COVID? It's just the other stuff that we don't know about. Right. Um, or was it just him falling flat on the face the way they did? Where just so they got so angry and they were so disgusted that they kind of maybe jumped the shark a little bit. They were just like, "Oh, we're gonna have a different quarterback next year," and it's just like, "Okay." After how and that thing ended, only- after how that thing ended. I totally understand feeling like I don't want to see this guy play for me anymore. But you do have to eventually answer that question of, okay, then who is it going to be? And I've seen no answer from Indianapolis that is compelling or gives me confidence that, okay, they'll be in better shape next season. This sounds to me like Jim Irsay doesn't want to see Carson Wentz's face ever again. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I could be wrong because that, that to me, the only – they like that's the only it's thing because it's not rational, and whenever yeah, exactly. it's out of non-rational it. things are happening with Indianapolis Colts, usually Earth stays behind it. <laughs> it's just how it is. And so, yeah. I, so that's a fair. I think that's a fair way to assess that situation. So, yeah, me and you like, are on the same page with Carson Wentz. Like, I, I look, I, I, we, we clown him on this show. Like, we're not. I don't think we're Carson Wentz stands, but we're just looking right. at the situation as it is and saying, I mean. He played pretty well last season, and they had just a he played good enough. He played good enough for them to make the playoffs. Let's let's be. Well, they now they didn't make the playoffs. Right, they definitely and didn't make the playoffs. Part because that. of some of his struggles. But when you lose to Jacksonville, it's not just it's not just quarterback. You get blown yeah. out by Jacksonville. I mean, that's why that's why I really I told you you know you know Frank Rice one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. But I was like, yo, he 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 might not be able to survive this. Right, you know, like like that that loss is not just on the quarterback. That's that's a that's a that's a, a very dangerous kind of scary situation to see your team look that bad in a must win game against one of the worst football teams I've ever seen. Um, that that's that that says a lot. But again, like you said, it sounds like 
someone there was just like, no, this guy is the problem. Get him out of here. And now we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, well, who's going to be the guy to replace him? And, again, I've heard no answer That's that gives me any hope for them. Uh, let's wrap the show quickly talking about this Ewing situation. So we talked about it at the top. Patrick Ewing appears now will be retained as Georgetown's head coach. Georgetown right now is 6-22 and this season. They are uh, 0-17 in conference play. This is after Georgetown really didn't have a great year last year. Did they lose again? Are they 0-18 now? Uh, they might have been 0-18. I'm, I'm on, uh, they lost tonight. Yeah, so now they're 0 18 in conference play, 6 23 now. They uh they they have only made the tournament once in, in Patrick Ewing's uh previous four years uh at Georgetown. Last year it was that miraculous run. They were not a tournament team, but they caught fire in the Big East tournament and uh won the Big East tournament that gave them the automatic qualifier into the NCAA tournament. But this has been by far Patrick Ewing's worst year there, and there were rumblings that and I don't even know what's rumbling. It's just you look at the math. You just look at his record. You say, okay, th- this is a guy that probably ends soon, you would think. But Georgetown says, no, we're going we're gonna to ride it out with Patrick Ewing for another year. They came out this morning and released a statement uh, basically saying that, you know, we know this has been a difficult season, but, you know, we're, we're working with, with, with Coach Ewing to kind of look at this program, see what kind of needs to be changed, and figure out something moving forward. I, I know – I get a feeling what your read on this is, but I actually have an interesting theory about what's happening here. I'm curious to hear it. I think Georgetown is not, they don't have, for whatever reason, they don't have a good replacement for Patrick Ewing for next season. They they don't have it for, you know, whether they poked around, asked some people, they don't, the guy and the guy they would want to change the program around, they don't have. And when I hear statements like, we're going to work with Patrick to kind of get, see what's wrong with the program and kind of figure things out. That almost sounds like he's setting it up for whoever the next person is going to be. So my theory is that they're going to, they are going to try to talk to him and see how to figure this thing out, but it may not necessarily be for him to be the head coach for the foreseeable future. Like it may just be next season, but they, right. I, I, I think that they, they're kind of getting ahead of it and saying, look, Y'all would have hated who we hired if we fired Patrick Ewing. So let's not even go there yet. We're gonna we're gonna run it back. We're gonna talk to Coach Ewing, figure this whole thing out. Because even the way Coach Ewing has been talking, like he 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 seems almost kind of like in a malaise and kind of like I don't know what's going on. Like you ever heard him talking these press conferences when they ask him what the hell's going on? He don't seem to know. He seems like oh, you know this is bad. All I know is bad in that you know guy rests his soul. I like Coach Ewing, John. He he would be he would yeah I love being here but you know Big John would be very disappointed in what we're doing. He don't have he has no answers, and there's been some talk about you know we we've talked a bunch about how tricky sometimes bringing an NBA assistant or NBA head coach and bringing him in college basketball how it can go one of many ways, but whispers about you know is he as engaged on the recruiting trail and on these kind of trends you need to be with these high school kids and these high school programs and AAU programs. That you need to bring in top-notch talent, and Ewing, when he's been asked about it, he's talked about it. He he really hasn't seemed to be very enthusiastic about that aspect of being college head basketball coach. But guess what? That's like seventy-five percent of your job, man. Like if you're just not doing all it takes to get the best players, whatever that means, then you're just gonna have you're gonna have an zero and eighteen record in the Big East. Like that's just what's gonna happen. I don't care what your name is. And, yeah, I don't think there's. 
I don't think there's been a team that has gone. I want to say I want to say I read the stat. There hasn't been a power five school that's gone winless in their conference. Like, like I know. First of all, there hasn't been a team that's gone winless in their conference after winning the conference tournament the year prior. <laughs> that definitely has not happened. Like forty years or something like that. Like something yeah. ridiculous. And even then, like I don't, I don't, I think I don't remember last time. I don't, I don't want to misspeak, but I want to say it's been like a long time since team has gone winless in a power five conference. It's hard to do. It's extremely hard to do because the the amount of things that have to go wrong for that to happen. You can't beat anybody. And, and for you to have no way of trying to stop it. Like, you you know, especially with the transfer portal now, you could look at your team and say, oh, man, we ain't got the dudes next year. But, yo, we got to get somebody in here. You grab a couple right. guys. That can win us a game. And, and make, win a couple of games. Like, there's almost no excuse for this happening in the transfer portal era. Like, and, like, the, we, follow, we follow recruiting, like – you know, they they had a little bit of they had a little bit of attrition, but I mean they brought in a kid in Aminu Muhammad, yeah, who was a five star, yeah, that people were very excited about. And you know, I mean, you know, he's been all right, you know, uh, like. But if I told you when they signed Aminu Muhammad, when I told when I told you if I told you when they signed Ryan Mutombo, the Kami Mutombo's son, yeah, that they would be they would not win a game in the conference. They would not. They're not going to win a game in the Big East. I'd be like, how? They're not gonna be DePaul. <laughs> They're not gonna be Butler. Man, and you know, honestly, I think there's some serious politics going on here. And the name that I want to throw out is David Falk. Mm, okay. Michael Jordan's agent. We all know. I, mean, I don't think everybody knows who David Falk is, but if you don't know who David Falk is, he's Michael Jordan's agent. Longtime agent. It's also the agent of Patrick Ewing. Um, also the agent, long time for John Thompson, Big John. Yes. And RIP. RIP. And basically every just name a Georgetown guy that's come out under John Thompson and John Thompson the third, and they're almost all repped by. David Falk. It's like scary. I had to look at his client list wow. to be sure. But like recent years, Jeff Green, Greg Monroe, Roy Hibbert. You That's know, fascinating. Michael Sweetney. Uh, go back to Iverson, obviously. You know, the way Iverson talks about Jordan, obviously it's Michael Jordan, but they also have the same agent. Mm, that is uh, very but, fascinating. You know, I mean, Alonzo Mourning, Matumbo, all David Falk, which is kind of scary. But regardless, yeah, like we think about Cal Perry and CAA, but like, right. this is even worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> but um but I this thing like David Falk, this thing doesn't happen like unless David Falk, you know, says so. And mm-hmm. that's that's to me is, is, is very interesting. So so is your so to follow your theory, is your theory that David Falk was like, Look, I'm getting guys to your school. And my guy is the head coach, but you fire him, that relationship ends. And therefore, the guys yeah, that you can get, or, or even, or even you know, the guys that try and find representation, they're not going to get it from me. And that, that that's clearly been a good relationship for Georgetown over the years. And just that, like, again, the, the connection to John Thompson, unless they are ready to sever it, 
which I don't think they are. They, I don't think they can. Which, but, but I want to say can though. Like to me, like honestly, I think that that is, it's painful for me to say this, but I really think that that is what they need to do. I think that that's in some ways that has held them back. I think in terms of trying to figure out what the next generation of what Georgetown basketball looks like is, they've been trying to continue to stay tied to this large in life icon that they cannot replace. Yeah, and this, his son did an admirable job, more than an admirable job. He took him to the Final Four, but. You know, and I think should be. They, I think they've they've another. never gone outside the family to find a head coach. John Thompson hasn't coached at Georgetown since 1999. And he's, everybody that's been coaching there has either been his son or his or, or his assistant or a former player. And I think we've from what we've seen that could sometimes be dangerous, where you don't think outside the box, you don't get. You don't. Maybe you don't become the modernized kind of organization and, and and program that you could be, because you're still working with guys who can sell you on. I know how John did it, and I'm gonna try to do it like how he did. Nobody could do it how John did. Not even Patrick Ewing. So that to me, I I think that that's one of their Achilles' heels right now. I think is that they're still they're still living in 1985. And they feel like they can't go outside of that reservation to... Now, I will argue, John might not have allowed them to do that. That's part of it. Like, John is a... You know, we know how John is. He could have very well told them, like, you ain't hiring no random dude to coach this team. He's like... He's, he's like Cal... He's like, like Coach K. Yeah. Talk about Coach K getting Tommy Amaker out of here. Like, he, he could have been doing that at Georgetown. It wouldn't shock me. But I, I think that that's perhaps one of their issues is... They're so stuck on what we once were that they're not really looking ahead to what could the future could be, and they're, now, they're kind of they're living Tommy, in a, they're living a little bit of a bubble. You want to know who Tommy Amaker's agent is? Who is Tommy Amaker's agent? David Falk. Interesting. And when the last coaching cycle started up, reportedly, that was candidate number one. Before Ewing. Right. And Tommy Amaker said no to Georgetown. Well, that goes back. This is almost like a part two to last week's podcast. Because <laughs> yeah. now it's like we're connecting more dots from what happened. The coach at Harvard said, I don't want to be the coach at Georgetown. That just doesn't make any sense on the surface. Yeah. If I just told you that sentence. Yeah. You'd be like, what? <laughs> Unless... As I've said before, unless he was told, we got a better job for you. Just hang tight. Yes. And somehow that never that better job never came. And according to Ian O'Connor's book, I've heard great things about it. You guys can check it out. Maybe I could finally. I would love to talk to Ian O'Connor about this book. Um, right. Like yeah. One apparently, Coach K was like, Nah, nah, that's not happening. Get my guy John Shire in here. He, he's going to be the coach for the future. Duke, you guys have no say. You have no say in this. <laughs> Which is, again, bizarre to me. But, yeah, here we are. Pastor Ewing, man, he's still 6-23. You, you, no wins in the conference. It's sad, man. man like, you I, know, I mean, I'm a Nick fan. Like, Pastor Ewing is, is 
you know, a god in this city. So I, I don't say this with like happy stuff like, oh, Patrick yeah. is not doing well. Like I want him to do great at Georgetown, even though I, really I think everybody. And, and isn't this, man? As a college basketball fan, we follow college basketball coaching, the coaching college basketball coaching carousel, and college football also like very closely, but even college basketball even closer. And isn't this one of the more surprising things not working and working so it falling so flat on its face? And it's not even over, which is again just yeah. I, but we know the end of the year. Thing about it, it they should have. I don't know why they. I mean, I told you why they're probably keeping him, but does it still doesn't make any sense on the surface. But I mean, the guy for years was destined to be an NBA head coach, and for whatever reason, he got the you know he got he got the Rooney Rule treatment and wasn't, wasn't given a head coaching job. <laughs> yeah, he got the Eric Bieniemy and <laughs> decided, yeah. well, I guess I guess I got to coach in college. But I mean, coaching at Georgetown is you know in many ways better than coaching. Uh, yeah, you know, coaching. Yeah, coaching the Thunder. You know, yeah, right. Teams, yeah. So, so it was, it was, a, it was, it was a really great feel-good story, and it seemed like, look, I mean, Patrick Ewing, you know, the guy's, the guy probably should be an NBA head coach. He's been an assistant for so long, and it, I mean, Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Who's not going to want to play for Patrick Ewing? You know what I think a problem was? I think for me, and I think we saw this a little bit with. Mullen taking over for Lavin. I'm not saying that getting a former player or a former NBA star or even a former NBA assistant is something you shouldn't do in college basketball. But I think getting that guy to take over a program that's pseudo in shambles is probably not the best idea. If that guy has never coached college basketball before. Because it's a very different games a very different landscape because think and about the former Patrick Ewing, Patrick Ewing took over this job you know John Thompson the third did a he again did an admirable job but that thing fell off the rails by the time it was over for him yeah they didn't want to fire they don't want to fire him it was right. also very hard to do and that's how we got here with Ewing is when you hire what you talk about when you keep hiring guys with yeah family, and then you can't do the right thing for the program <laughs> It's a lot easier to fire Tom Crean at Georgia than it is to fire right. John Thompson. John III Thompson at Ewing. Georgetown. I mean, yeah, yeah. You only got to explain why that's so hard. And Patrick Ewing, at, you got. I'm firing. Like I don't. I. I'll be honest, Kendall man. I was dreading that headline. Patrick Ewing fired at Georgetown. I don't really want to see it. I don't want to see it. Like that. That's just something that the world should never have to see. But in order for things to turn around, that's probably what's going to have to happen. I was hoping Ewing would just leave. That's why I, right. the way he was talking, I, I, I thought I, I started to think maybe he will just leave because he was again he sounded like he had no answers to what was going on. But I think when we see these teams say we can get an NBA guy to take our program that's in complete shambles and rebuild it, bad idea, bad but idea. But think about you cannot do the that. situation where it has worked to, to add to your theory or to add to your your, your mm-hmm. logic. Think about because there's really no difference between Patrick Ewing. And Jawan Howard at Michigan, mm-hmm. they both never coached in college, but were, you know, destined to be NBA head coaches. Head coaches, but decided to jump to their alma maters before taking that step. And Jawan Howard hit the ground running at Michigan. Uh, you know, he's swinging for the fences. 
Jesus, I knew you were gonna go somewhere. <laughs> He's just like, I knew it was coming. But still, I could not resist. Jawan Howard's done an excellent job in Michigan, whereas Patrick Ewing hasn't. But like you said, Beeline left Michigan at, a, at, at in a great position, right? For Howard to then take it to the next level, arguably. Yeah. But for but Ewing was taken over for a program that again he was supposed to be the guy to turn it around. Now, I think the other key is because I think about even on like the sort of mid major level, look, think about Billy Lang, the coach at St. Joe's right now. He mm-hmm. took over Phil Martelli, former Philadelphia 76ers assistant under Brett Brown. Um, he came in, it was, it was the job between him and Jameer Nelson. And he's come in, and St. Joe's really isn't any better. They've probably been probably took a step back post Phil Martelli. But again, Billy Lang is coming from a situation where he's he's not he hasn't been in college basketball for a long time. Like when you're taking these guys, they might be great X's and O's coaches, but I think there's more to this business than it than the on the court part of it. Absolutely. That's what's very interesting. Now, if you got a guy who can do that. Mike Woodson seems to know that side of it pretty well for a guy who's never done it. He's having no trouble with that. And I would, and I would argue that Mike Woodson is not taking a, a program that was in shambles. Right. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't right. in a great position, but it wasn't in shambles. But there are the, a lot of the best players in that team were already there. Right. All you the know? best. They weren't a bunch of guys saying, you know, I'm skipping town. I'm getting the hell out of here. You know, it wasn't a team that was a losing team with a losing record. Like, like they, like, like they have a losing record last year, but they had one. They, they, they were, they were, they were at least decent. Yeah, the team expected to make the tournament last year. They, yeah, yeah, and they, they had talent. They, they underachieved. Like, yeah. it was, it didn't feel like the program was a complete shambles. It was like, yo, they need somebody that can just get them out of their own way. Like we talk about again, taking over a St. John's and a Georgetown. You know, St. John's lost their whole roster when Lavin was leaving. Georgetown yeah. losing their whole roster. When John now the one now the one inspired. caveat is if you have a guy who's a, if you, if, I, I think the more important thing is when you see Penny Hardaway, and we could talk for weeks about whether or not that's even worked or not. But if we're gonna go on the side of it's been good, certainly been better than Tubby Smith, even if the on court record probably isn't that different. <laughs> I think any Memphis fan will tell you it's been an improvement. Like the difference is he was he's been so entrenched he was so entrenched in youth basketball and AAU basketball particularly but also high school that man you know it's almost like not it's, and to me it that's like John hiring than, yeah. it was almost more it was almost more important that you're hiring the the coach at Team Penny yeah the AAU you director know. not not the yeah not the, the AAU director the, not the, not, <laughs> you were hiring the former yeah. NBA player because because. Yeah, that's the difference. Like Penny Hardaway had not spent years on an NBA bench and flying all the place, never having to recruit nobody. Like that's a different thing, you know. Yeah. We could even mention, okay, well, how did Larry Brown to see the SMU? Larry Brown was a college head coach before. Like yeah, he yeah. knows what that entails. He knows and what I, it I, takes. I, I, I'm sorry, maybe Larry Brown's the exception to it. Maybe the the Hall of Fame, you know. <laughs> right, right. Of course, you know he—he's he, one of the greatest coaches of all time. But even even the <laughs> difference being that, like Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, these guys were never coaches, head coaches before. Nope, they never had coached anywhere. 
Yeah. You're saying, all right, now you you're used to how NBA teams run. Now go build a program from scratch. Yeah, a major program that with a lot of like attention and a lot of fanfare. Like that's a hard thing to do, and you can't do that for a guy and say because well, he was an NBA assistant or he's been in the NBA front offices that he can do a college basketball. He could do a college basketball rebuild. Any team trying to I do that, to I think you're going to fail. It's not going to work. I think a name to look out for is a guy who could be, who could do the never coached before, but I have an NBA background and be pretty good at the college level. It's Chris Paul. Yeah, he's special. He's a special kind of leader. He's a special kind of. But I will say, Chris Paul is in these AAU streets. He's in. That's why I'm mentioning. Right, it's oh, a different. It's a different. Elite, it's, it's different. He has an elite basketball IQ, and is probably probably going to be a great coach at some point if he wants to do it. But he also knows the people that he needs to know to be mm-hmm. to have good players because that's yep. the start. You know, he's in these gym, he's in these AAU gyms. Runs he's a, a very a very successful AAU program. One hundred percent. That's Every just, player in North Carolina would go to whatever school Chris Paul is coaching. Yeah, if you're just not immersed in that culture, I'm not saying you can't be a good college basketball coach. I'm saying you can't rebuild a former power and think that that's going to work out. That just is not going to work out. I've never seen it work out before. Yeah. If you've never been a head coach before and you're saying this is your first head coaching job, that it, it's a bad decision. And it sucks because, you know, I didn't like to see Chris Mullen fired from St. John's. Well, he resigned, I guess, technically. And I, like, I just like I don't want to see Pat Ewan fired from. If I was down. one of these, I don't want to see I a headline, a, but it, 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 it might be inevitable. If I was an athletic director at one of these HBCUs, I'd be on the phone with Chris Paul now, saying, "After your career is over, you do you want to do the coach prime, and yeah. you'd be the basketball coach at Jackson State." Yeah, the seven figure offer. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Give give him give him more. I mean, I don't know if they've got seven figures, unfortunately, but I mean, they, they do. Look, if Jackson State found it for prime, one of these Jackson schools, State's got it. <laughs> one of these schools could find it. Um, but still, you know, give give him whatever whatever he wants. You know, and we know obviously that's 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 something that is near and dear to Chris Paul's heart. He would win at a high level. It would be like Coach Prime. If oh Chris yeah, coaching. Yeah. At you know Winston Salem State for example, you know I like, I wonder what Chris Paul what his post NBA career what he wants. He he's, cl- he's clearly positioning himself for something. <laughs> yeah, all the jobs he's taken, all the positions he's put himself in, running AAU programs, the stuff with the HBCUs, which has been great work. Um, documentaries, <laughs> yeah, play, head of the yeah. players' union. Yeah. He's clearly positioning himself for something. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, if you told me you want to be a politician, that wouldn't shock me. But it's something. <laughs> it's yeah. some. He has another career that he's looking at beyond playing in the NBA once his NBA career is over. What that is, I don't know. But it will make a lot of his movements over the past, let's say, four years make sense. Because the guy's everywhere. You cannot. You can't. You can't. You can't miss him. If you follow sports, he's in every corner now. He's making movies. But he's what makes it in so AAU strange, gyms? He's got an AAU team. Tom Brady, man, where you're like, well, he's playing so well. So you know, 
Yeah. If, like, if you, you were doing all this, and it was like, man, like, Chris, it, it'd be a meme. It'd be like, man, this guy's doing everything, but he's but he can't stay on the court. He can't, you know, he can't win. He can't win the big game. But Chris Paul is still playing at such a high level, so late into his career. You know, he he strikes you as a John Stockton, where you know he's going to be a starting high level point guard to the day he retired, and it may be a long time into his career. Yeah, but yeah, I mean. But yeah, he's the he's the the guy. And again, look, honestly, look, I mean, Georgetown can't take that they can't take that risk after whatever happened with Ewing. But you know, it, may, it doesn't have to be an HBCU. I, I, if I was a real, a real power five school, and my team was sort of, sort of suspect, you'd have to put really good coaches around him. But you know, he would he would be a guy I would I, I would earmark to be that next guy. I saw Syracuse fans talking about hiring Mel. I was like, that would be a disaster. No, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> no, you can't. And just hire very involved, very seasoned coaches. Just no more, you know, trying to win the back page, win the headline. That, that, that doesn't I mean, work. Jerry Stackhouse is another one, man. Jerry Stackhouse is another guy who's going to be an NBA head coach. So I had to coach in college. Yeah, and it's like, again, he guy, has. Yeah, nah, middle- he at least has has been a head coach in the G League, but he's never been like a head coach in a professional, a major professional. <laughs> yeah, he had, he's he had never a, coached in college. He had a, he had a middling uh, Adidas A program in North Carolina, but he wasn't like he's not. He wasn't Team Penny, right? So. It was not Team Penny, right? So you know that was it was it was always, and, and he had no connection to being in Nashville, Tennessee. So I mean, he, besides being an assistant with the Memphis Grizzlies, which is nowhere near Nashville, so. Um, yeah, that, again, like on paper, he should be a top five coach in the SEC. Oh yeah, the guy. Is and you watch he's Vanderbilt. His basketball stuff is, is is real. Yeah, the the sets they run are are, are elite. They're he, has, he, he got Scottie Pippen looking like Scottie Pippen. The player development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's where we should end. <laughs> there's, never, there's not going to be another better line coming out of the show. That, that that's the. Uh, that's the title of this podcast. Scotty <laughs> Pippen looks like Scotty Pippen. Man, shout out to Scotty Pippen Jr. Scott out, shout out to Jerry Stackhouse. Shout out to our audience. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. A little bit of a longer episode. We've been a little bit better keeping it tighter. Uh, we're recording this podcast super late, so I think we were just going to just freestyle. It just talked into it. It became our, our post-show conversation. Yeah, exactly. But I think people will have enjoyed listening to it, people that stuck with us through the end course if you enjoyed this podcast please check out all of our shows on the new generation podcast network that's apple podcast spotify soundcloud stitcher and tune in as i mentioned before check us out on youtube our channel is new generation media and we do have that appearance we did on the nothing but nicks youtube channel where we talked about the knicks nba draft strategy and i talked a little bit just about my history as a knicks fan which is very sad like most people so really dope conversation with those guys shout out to sim shout out to tony they were great with us great interview so Check that out on YouTube. You can find that. Nothing but Nicks is the YouTube channel. You can find that interview. And of course, check out our own stuff on New Generation Media. Follow us individually. Uh, follow collectively on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast, as well as Facebook. You can find us searching New Generation Media. And follow us individually on social media. Kendall's at Twitter on Twitter, New Gen Ken. I'm on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out. Kendall, I'm EJ. Take these guys. <laughs>